Hi, I'm Paul Listick, and welcome to Behind the Curtain. This is America. This is the country I've served and defended, uh, that all of my brothers have served, and here, right matters. Here, Right Matters, an American story. That is a new book by Alexander Vindman, a retired lieutenant colonel with the U.S. Army. Welcome to Behind the Curtain, everybody. This is Paul Lisnick from WGN-TV. And uh, today we take a look at a new book with a, with a, with a man who uh, never probably thought he would enter the world of uh, you know recognition around the, the globe, but but in fact, he did. Uh, and it summar- he summarizes it and, and talks about his life in the book Here, Right Matters. Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, thank you for joining me. I uh, appreciate your time as we talk about your experiences. Paul, thank you for having me on the show. So I know a lot of people, I see you on TV a lot, and everybody takes you into today's world, and they want you to sort of comment and everything, but you have written a book. We ought to know a little bit more about your life, and that's where I want to focus in, um, but but you open the book with July 25th, 2019. You find yourself in the Situation Room. I toured the White House once, so I got to see it, but not from the perspective you did. Here you are in the room where uh, President Obama watched Osama bin Laden operation get underway. You thought it was pretty cool, but it was also the beginning of the change in the two-part Parts of your life, which you divide at 44 years old. Go ahead and talk about that part of the story. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I, it, every day I walked into the White House uh, compound, uh, whether it was the West Wing or the executive office building, that big kind of gray building off to the side, I just it, I kind of felt the hallowed halls, and it was, it was an odd experience. And the same went for, for those um, White House situation suites, those conference rooms where so many critical decisions for, for the U.S. Uh, occur on a daily basis. And this happened to be a particularly important decision, uh, a phone call, not just for me um, personally, of course that, that happened, but also for the country. Uh, it, really what I, what I sensed unfolding was the combination of a corrupt enterprise that had been uh, coming together unraveling for the preceding months. And this phone call, uh, really all it was for me, in terms of just the, the substance, the context of the call, was a clear identification that the president was behind the scheme. So I, I walked in there uh, somewhat apprehensive, uh, hopeful that we might be able to get our uh, policy on track. The, the issue at hand was support for a critical partner that was um, continuing to fight a war against the U.S.'s principal adversary, Russia, uh, on the geopolitical landscape. And we could either end up kind of riding the ship of national security and moving things forward in that relationship and, and lifting a hold on security assistance of nearly $400 million that the Ukrainians desperately needed. Or uh, we could go, or it, it could culminate in this corrupt enterprise where the president of the United States was demanding a foreign government investigate his chief political rival going into the 2020 election. And to me, I felt all of this, you know, come together, both the national security threat and uh, from a foreign policy perspective and, and domestically, the president trying to undo free and fair elections. And uh, that, that's really what, what ended up occurring in that uh, room in, in you know, those minutes and subsequent days and weeks and months. You know, and you call your book Here Right Matters because those those words live on from your testimony. And you also talk about the fact that that moment, 44 years old, the first part of your life, and then everything shifts I'm going to have to ask you, I mean, because of all the life, and then your, your book goes into your life. We're going to talk about that. But um, based on how you grew up and the values your father taught you and all of that, is this the America you, you, you expected it to be? 
you know, there's America, I, I like to think I have a kind of a somewhat sophisticated view of America. I, I've traveled all 50 states. It's a, a stunning country. Um, it's diverse. It's rich, culturally rich, historically rich. Uh, but it also ha- has a, a complex, troubled past. Uh, and I, I'm a historian. Uh, I understand some of those elements of the troubled past. But I also understand the, the progress the country's made and the way, where the U.S. fits in the world. And I understand the stark kind of reality of, uh, of a world. I could imagine a world absent America, what, what kind of nightmare that would be. It would be like the rules of the jungle. The, the, the strong would, would take advantage of the, of the weak. So I guess my answer is, I, in spite of, of these complexities, I think this country is amazing, filled with uh, wonderful people, but we just have a lot of work in front of us. I mean, we're, we're you know, human beings are imperfect creatures. We've developed, we've uh, forced a, a, a climate change that's, that could spend, uh, spell the end of humanity at some point in the future. Uh, we've developed uh, these devastating weapons, uh, but we've also uh, elevated multitudes, humanity has elevated multitudes out of poverty. I mean, the, the, there is no point in history where people have been as well off as they are nowadays, even in spite of the, the rampant inequality. And I think it's the U.S. Has, has led the charge in that. So I guess that's a really quite hopeful uh, view of, of the U.S. I also understand the perils, just to, I guess to wrap up this idea, I understand the perils of this current moment. And I understand that... Um, our, our democracy is actually relatively precarious. There are internal and external forces that are uh, that are challenging uh, the way this country, the values of this country, the way this country is operated. Uh, certainly, there are plenty of adversaries that want this country to stumble or exploiting uh, divisions. But internally, we also face significant challenges. Again, both due to dis- uh, to inequality and economic disparities. Uh, populations being left behind, not fully dealing with the uh, uh, history of uh, systemic racism. Um, and we, we really need to live up to these challenges. And while I, my, my tagline is, here right matters, I've turned to kind of turn that phrase into, you know, if we want right to matter in the U.S., we need to make right matter. Uh- Powerful words. I, I want to talk to you about the values that, that you came to this country with, but I, I have to ask one question. Let's get it out of the way, because no sooner did you start your testimony that, boom, he's an anti-Trumper. He's a never-Trumper. It's all about going after Trump. Is that who you are? Uh, it wasn't who I was. Uh, now it's a mission for me. Uh, I just sense the acute danger of Trump and Trumpism, and uh, I, I'm operating well outside of my comfort zone by being, you know, by by being more political, because I can't, I don't think this country can afford another four more years for Trump or his cronies or his, his you know, coterie of uh, politicians coming to power. But that's not definitely not who I was. Uh, who I was was an apolitical army officer uh, who sworn an oath on multiple occasions to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And I was going to do live up to my obligations, uh, whether it was you know, even at the cost of my career, I just wasn't going to put my own self-interest or my own, you know, aspirations for a career ahead of my, um, what I thought were much, much 
heavier obligations um, as an army officer and as a as a White House official, as an American for that matter. You know, when you got pulled into the politics, what people didn't know until we, we get your book and read it, as which I did, we realize your family comes here. As you tell us, you come to the U.S., $759 in cash and a few suitcases. And um, and your dad clearly has had a lot of influence on you uh, with his life lesson that you not only share throughout the book, you give it to us at the end as, as a life lesson you want us to, to, to learn, which is don't just start over, keep starting over. And of course, what a beautiful culmination as you toured your, your, the West Wing with your dad in 2019. When, and I know you lost your mom when you were young and, and all that, but what, what, when you think of the values, the family values that got embedded in you, that, that's the kind of thing people need to understand about you that leads to the man who can sit at a table and say, here, right, matters, right? It's not about what happened in the Ukrainian call, so to speak. It's what happened in your life that brought you to that moment, in my view. That, that's exactly right. So, I mean, the whole reason I wrote this book, and I was frankly reluctant initially in moving in that direction, is you know, I, I asked myself, what right do I have, like, you know, the 44, 45-year-old writing a book, a memoir? But I thought I had to answer two questions, the why, why, what was at stake, and the how, which is really what your question is about. You know, what were the, the, the tools in my arsenal uh, or the weapons in my arsenal, you know, the, the tools in my toolbox? to uh, deal with these challenges. And I, I looked retrospectively on key moments in my life, my, my, uh, the way I was raised by my father, the, the uh, immigrant background as refugees, the decades of military service, and what elements uh, I think allowed me to, to take a principled position and stick to it, even though the costs were, were quite high. Um, and, you know, those, those are lessons like, uh, don't be afraid to start over. Start over. Keep starting over. Don't self-deter. Uh, you know, truthfulness and veracity is critical. Uh, it's a critical component of character, and, and, you know, it's one of those things that you, you if you don't live up to uh, being an honest individual, uh, that's something that is almost impossible to regain. So I, I think these are the, the things that uh, I looked back at various moments in my life, various challenges, uh, combat operations uh, in Iraq and being wounded, you know, being cool under under fire, uh, and how all these things contributed to to just navigating something really unprecedented. An army officer going up against the commander in chief, and the army officer standing up for the constitution, and the commander in chief uh, actually uh, looking to harm the, uh, uh, you know, certainly failing to live up to his oath to the constitution, but frankly looking to harm the, the country. That's that is a un- unbelievable set of circumstances to try to uh, deal with. Almost, I don't know if it's coincidence or not, but of course, your brother Eugenie, who well Americanized to Eugene, um, he ends up in the world of ethics. Uh, also, military guy, but he's in ethics. And so, after that phone call that morning, uh, you go see him because he would be the person I think you would naturally see because it was ethical questions that that got raised. And I know you you love your brother, you trust your brother in many ways. You you say he's kind of a, he, the embodiment of you. And I know at the hearings he he stayed out of camera lens so that people couldn't see him. You write about all of that. My question is. And this is what struck me when I read it. Was he the right person to go to? I mean, I would go to my brother, too, you know, for a lot of things. But at the same time, or did, you, did it ever occur to you to say, maybe for this particular report, I should step outside the family? Was there somebody else you could have reported to? So I appreciate you asking this question, Paul, because it uh, gives me the opportunity to kind of uh, uh, 
illuminate really the reality of the situation. First of all, uh, let me just say it's uh, it's Yevgeny, uh, but he goes by Eugene or Yev in English. He's, uh, I'll make sure he listens to this. Uh, but um, <laughs> that you cor- you corrected me, Yevgeny. Thank you. Yeah, no, I I got I got it back. No, but um, really, what ended up happening is that uh, there were I, I was very very blessed to have him on staff and somebody that could just you know on a, on a daily basis pop into his office and uh, compare notes on whatever was going on uh, in in my portfolio on these very weighty issues around Russia, Ukraine, Eastern Europe, and, um, you know, get his, get his perspective. Not, not even as, a, as an attorney or an ethics official, but just as an, another kind of set of eyes. And what, why I was particularly fortunate is because everything I'm dealing with is classified. It's top secret. It's, you know, all, uh, all sorts of compartmented stuff that, that has, you know, it's, it's these, these different categories. And he had the, he had the, the, the all the relevant clearances, and he had the kind of a position of a, a legal counsel to to prov- uh, to offer some some thoughts. So it was it was phenomenal. But with regard to this phone call, actually, it's not it's not entirely accurate that I was I was not reporting this incident to him. I I actually report I I went into his office, and and there's that line in the book when I walk in, close the door immediately after the phone call, and I tell Eugene. Eugene, from what I'm about to tell you ever becomes public, the president would be impeached. No, no, no idea or no belief that it would ever become public because that's just not the world I live in. Everything is classified, but it did. But the the reason I walked, I wanted him in there, and we discussed whether he should join me. Is I wanted a witness to me making the report to their to their actual senior most officials, senior most legal officials in 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 the shop. And if you recall that part in the book where I talk about the previous time I reported on July 10th after a meeting in the White House with the national, between national security advisors, the U.S. and Ukrainian one, I went to a guy named John Eisenberg. He was the, uh, the legal counsel for the NSB. And he was the guy that I was reporting, going to report to again, but I didn't want to end up in a situation where it was just my word against him. And I wanted Eugene there as, a, as uh, you, know, you know, both... I wanted him there actually as a, as a witness and as the ethics official for the NSC. So like this, I, um, my report had meaning, and it couldn't be just easily swept under the rug. That's really why I want to do it, because at that point I already I had concerns about how certain folks were going to behave in the White House. Fair enough. And that, and that may be my misreading of, of that part of the book, because it seemed to me you went to your brother because you thought you had to. But now I get it. You've, you've clarified that. That makes a lot of sense to me. And of course, you pay the consequences for all of this. You're, you're boss in the relevant periods here. Uh, Tim Morrison, you start getting pulled off trips. You're supposed to go on the Poland trip. It really it seemed to devastate you the way in which a punishment was being put against you. I'm sort of curious, just because you probably know at this point with through other people, is this the kind of thing that happens in administrations? I mean, I mean, I know with this, the Trump administration is sort of like no other, but, you know, if somebody turns on Biden or says something, will they pay consequences? I mean, it didn't seem like people had your back when they were certainly in the political yeah. part of this environment. Would that be true under Biden? Was it true under Obama? Was it a Trump thing? Yeah, I think actually that's a, a very astute assessment. I think um, what you end up having and why having professional staff, folks coming out of departments and agencies is so vital, is that they will look out for, you know, institutional interests or American interests as opposed to 
a political official's interest. Now, the president is absolutely entitled to have a trustworthy set of staff. And if people are legitimately, you know, not trustworthy, then they don't need to be there. You can't have you can't afford to have leakers kind of uh, uh, spoiling, you know, policy formulation. But really, um, and and I guess the, the fact is that there have been precedents of people in other administrations uh, being ostracized for, uh, you know, being out front of the president or being at odds with the president. But that's not really what, what was going on here. I mean, I was prepared when I joined the uh, a year before to shut up in color if I was told to do something. I mean, I knew, like, you know, that I wouldn't necessarily, uh, I would offer my best advice and then get direction and, and have to execute. And I was going to do that as long as it wasn't illegal. That's not what this was about. This was about, you know, the president doing something that I believe to be illegal and reporting it, and then closing ranks. Like, so the political leadership closing ranks because they knew where their bread was buttered, and only really the only kind of support I had were from the professional staff, folks that were career public servants. And uh, that doesn't, you know, that didn't necessarily surprise me. What I would identify about the Trump administration that's kind of unique is, you know, that administrations uh, or staff take on the nature of the their uh, leadership. So in, in other administrations, you would have very capable leaders picking and choosing their senior staff, and they would all kind of be you know, honorable, skilled individuals. <laughs> that was not the case with the Trump administration. He picked people that he believed were going to be loyal or that were going to be kind of uh, morally flexible, and therefore you have kind of what amounts to uh, like a viper's den of, of sorts. There's that one portion of the book where I, uh, when I was there trying to make a decision about whether I should accept the, 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 this position at the NSC, and I talked to this, you know, this general officer that was serving there, and I asked him, you know, what he thought about the environment, about the Trump White House, the, 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 the colleagues and stuff. He's, he's, and he deployed multiple times to Iraq and Afghanistan. And he told me this is going, going to be the most perilous environment you've ever operated in. And it's, again, because the, the staff take on the nature of the president. They're, it's by, because the president chooses people that are, you know, <laughs> that will serve his, his interests. And it, was, it, was, it, it turned out to be kind of, you know, as it was built in a lot of ways. Yeah, you certainly said, I think at the time of the book you read about the NSC, I can't say I wasn't warned. So you knew what you were in for. You know, you also share the personal side of your of your life in the book. And uh, I, I was sad to read, uh, you know, your, your wife, uh, Rachel, gave birth or a premature birth to a daughter, Sarah, who you lost, who you had the best nickname in the world for when you called her Flippy. I, that warmed my heart. And it was so sad to, to read that you lost her. But I know you now have Ellie. And, and so my, my question is, you share the, the family details in your life. When you decided it was time time to retire. Rachel st- stood behind you. Um, I, in fact, you say she said to you, the army abandoned you. I, I can't say she's wrong. But of course, we did get a change in administration. You did find out you actually were going to get, I think if I read it right, the promotion that you were going to get that even though, you know, the, the, the Trump folks did everything they could to get in the way, it looked like you would have gotten the promotion. Any regrets on that resignation? Because, you know, under a Biden administration now, you'd be flying high, I think. Yeah, so... Uh- I have no regrets, and the reason is that that's actually not, uh, you know, not uh, quite the way things work out in, in complex bureaucracies and conservative 
uh, environments like the Department of Defense where senior um, political leaders and military leaders, you know, are concerned about perceptions around whether they're apolitical, whether they they've you know done the made the right moves to not run afoul of let's say a Senate confirmation. And I knew, you know, months ahead a uh, months ahead of time that I was going to have issues. Rachel thought I was uh, I was toast really, frankly, as far back as you know, right around the time I, t- I t- uh, had my public testimony, based on feedback from senior leaders that you know said you might you 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 need to move on. You know, you're you're there's just you're not going to be able to do the same kind of the jobs you've been doing. You're not going to be able to uh, uh, be an attaché. I was on a extremely, extremely steep uh, ascent in my career, doing very well in, in some, uh, in like the toughest positions. And I was told that I wasn't going to be able to do anything like that again. I, I was told I would need a rehabilitative assignment as a colonel, which is not, you know, not a 20 plus years in your career. You can't afford a rehabilitative assignment where every single, you know, move, every single kind of job matters critically. And a four-star telling me that and a three-star telling me to, to get uh, to move out and do something else. And, um, you know, three-star in particular wanting to be helpful, just, just offering good counsel. It was the right thing to do. And as a matter of fact, my twin brother's situation has is, is validated it. He just, I don't want to, you know, uh, he, he's, he's also getting get, get out because his, uh, his horizon, uh, horizons have also been limited. So as much as I um, loved my uh, career in the military and I'm grateful for all opportunities I had in, uh, through military service uh, as a public servant working in the White House, uh, those doors were closed. Those doors were closed by way of uh, president, the president's retaliation against me, President Trump's retaliation, you know, um, keeping my name in the press as a anti, uh, as a never Trumper, as a, you know, he called me like uh, insubordinate. He called me all sorts of things. Those are just not things that you could easily recover from uh, with the president attacking me, with his staff attacking me. Um, I, I had to, yeah. I had to make a, a tough decision to move on and, I didn't want to just, you know, take a promotion and kind of write it out in some cushy jobs. I wanted to do things that matter. And that's really what I'm doing now. I mean, I'm, I've written a dozen different pieces on policy that have kind of infected the bloodstream of the policymaking community, whether it's this democracy summit that's going to be held next week or uh, with regards to policy on Russia, Ukraine, uh, geopolitics. I'm working on my doctorate at Johns Hopkins. Um, I'm going to defend in May. I, I'm on the uh, board of a non-governmental organization called the Renew Democracy Initiative, trying to, you know, uh, firm up U.S. democracy through different kind of, by providing an understanding to the population of the risks that we're facing right now. Uh, I'm doing all sorts of different things that uh, I wouldn't be able to do, you know, just kind of riding a desk somewhere as a colonel. Yeah. Well, by congratulations on working on your doctorate. I have one of those, and it's a lot of work, so good luck on that. We have just a couple moments left, and so I just kind of quickly want to ask you, I know when you, when, you know, Representative Radcliffe in the hearings, of course, went after you, everything became your fault, according to him. He was doing his job as a Republican, I suppose, but you also then came to learn that Lieutenant Colonel Jim Hickman, who, who, who should have been on your side, starts to say that, you know, he heard you bashing the U.S. Uh, I'm just sort of curious, and that you were an Obama globalist. I think he also called you, you right in the book. My question, you must have expected these things from Republican congressmen. Did you get a little floored when members of the military turned on you, or was that to be expected? 
Well, uh, you know, the military is diverse and representative of the country. Uh, what I didn't necessarily expect is I didn't expect, you know, senior military officers uh, and senior defense officials kind of staying quiet while I was attacked. And I had no, op- no means by which to defend myself because all I'd be doing is digging myself a deeper hole by, by, by saying anything publicly. I at least hoped that the military was going to stand up for me. With regards to private, city, uh, private citizens, well, and also I should say that below the colonel level, kind of below the political level, I had an enormous amount of support. I had tons of people kind of reach out to me and say, you know, thank you, you did the right thing, and all that kind of stuff. So I felt a great deal of support, as I did from the, the general public. But, of course, they're going to be detractors. I mean, there are, you know, uh, there's a number of particularly kind of, uh, you know, uh, sycophantic um, Trump loyalists that are going to go after me for one reason or another. And um, I guess I had the opportunity to kind of go uh, re- respond to these folks, but I didn't want to do that. I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to kind of elevate the, the nonsense of, of their, uh, uh, dis- you know, deceits and lies and stuff like that. Um, and, I don't know uh, this this uh, this individual, this lieutenant colonel. I mean, he he says he he uh, met, met me. I don't frankly remember meeting him. I mean, uh, he w- we would not necessarily have been in the same circles because I was there passing through on an exercise accompanying the Russians out of Moscow, and uh, he was like exercise support, so behind the scenes. Um, but I didn't want to. Ta- I knew I knew he was, a, he was a combat veteran. He had a TBI and stuff like that. And I didn't know what, what all the, the circumstances were behind, you know, why he felt like he needed to do this to, to tarnish my reputation. Um, I just didn't, wasn't going to go after him in that way. I didn't think it was the right thing to do. He, he served in combat and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he may have not known, understood what he was getting into and, like, you know, getting into national political fray by, by smearing me and then kind of bringing himself into the, the uh, eye of the storm. And I didn't. I, I just didn't feel like I, I was. I needed to go go respond in the same manner. Yeah, and, and you do write about that in the book. Well, clearly, leadership can show itself in many ways. There's the general patent way of being leader, a leader, and then there's uh, somebody like you who goes through what you did. Uh, by the way, reading the epilogue of your book, where you do have lots of messages to me, which are about leadership, uh, let me just put, I know you're writing policy papers and all of that. You might want to think about writing a book about leadership and some of the trends. A lot of other people who've been in government do it, between your military background, your government background, and the messages you share in the epilogue of your book. I think you've got the germination of what could be a really good an important book on leadership. Just a suggestion. I'm not even asking for 10% of the royalties. I, I appreciate it. Maybe we should work together on that one, Paul. Yeah, well, that's part of my background, so maybe that'll happen. I do want to thank you for your yeah. service, sir, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vidman. I said, I'm an honorary Kentucky colonel. I don't know who has higher rank. If it's me or you, I'm going to assume it's you. And just say thank you, sir, for your for your service. Uh, the book is Here, Right Matters, an American Story by Alexander S. Vidman. Whether you watch the hearings, didn't watch the hearings, whether you support President Trump, don't support former President Trump, um, the Lieutenant Colonel Vidman's story is one you need to know. There's more to it than the guy that just sat at that table uh, and said the the words here right matters thank you lieutenant colonel i wish you uh, and rachel and ellie a very happy holiday season thank you for being with me and all best on the book same to you thank you very much paul enjoy it well if you want to know more about what we've talked about here follow me on twitter facebook instagram at paul lisnick that's p-a-u-l-l-i-s-n-e-k And I'd love to hear your comments or topic suggestions for future podcasts. You can also go to my website, 
paullisnick.tv. And hey, don't forget to hit subscribe on WGN Plus and iTunes. And tune in each week to hear more Insider Scoop coming to you from behind the curtain.